When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. It is now 8-1 Boston leading New Jersey in the last minute of the second period. They have uh, blown this one open. What do we have here? Marchand has a couple. Jake DeBrus got his 18th. Taylor Hall got his 16th. 5-3 Maple Leafs leading the Jets at the start of the third. 3-0 Panthers leading Chicago early in the third. 12 minutes left. Islanders leading the Blue Jackets 3-2. Two minutes into the third period, Carolina leading Montreal 3-0. Shots are 42-19 for the Canes. After the first period, Penguins and Wild tied 1-1. Kings and Flames just getting underway. Sharks and Avalanche just getting underway. And in about an hour, it's the Stars and the Ducks. U of A Golden Bears beat Acadia 7-0 to uh, win their quarterfinal at the University Cup. They will play St. FX in the semi on Saturday. Oilers tomorrow against the St. Louis Blues. 5.30 face-off show game at 7 here on 6.30. Chad, as the Oilers try to win their ninth consecutive home game, Oilers defenseman Brett Kulak will be on a little bit later on the show. I got to sit down with Brett uh, after the Oilers' optional skate and uh, meetings today at uh, at Rogers Place. So had a good chat with Brett, and we'll get to that uh, between 7.30 and 8. As I welcome Derek Van Deest from Post Media to Inside Sports. Hey, Derek, uh, just had Rafi Torres on the show. Uh, you would have been covering the team when uh, when Rafi was here. What do you remember about him? Yeah, Rafi was, I remember him. He was uh, a big difference maker in uh, that 2006 playoff run. He had that big hit on, uh, oh, I can't remember the Shark now. I think it was in one of the, so the game two or game three, that kind of turned the series around for the Oilers. And, uh, yeah, Rafi was a guy that, you know, played straight lines and go through people. He was actually quite quite an effective player for a few years here with the Oilers. So, yeah. you, know, you know, hope he's doing well. Yeah, he's, he's doing well. Spoke very highly of his time here. I asked him a little bit about how it, it all ended, and he said, well, it wasn't just that he got that long suspension, but he said his knees were kind of uh, not allowing him to keep up with the game uh, as well. But, I mean, I know he kind of got a lot of bad – press late in his career because of the suspensions but I mean that's the thing Derek um I mean I've said it about myself I mean I, I'm a little bit of a hypocrite sometimes I I don't mind the odd fight I don't like a lot of fighting necessarily but I like big hits but yet when somebody gets hurt or there's a hit that's a little high you know I, I get all in an outcry about it but I, I mean there is that there is that line and Rafi knew he had to I mean fair to say he he's one of those players he had to go as close to the line as he could to to stay in the league and to keep his spot. And unfortunately, maybe he crossed it a few times. Yeah, he was. And he was a guy that just played all out. That's the only way he knew how to play. He was a hundred mile an hour player. And then to ask him to kind of slow down, um, that just wasn't the type of player he was. And that's the player he was in junior. That's the player he came into the league. And, and, and when he came into the league, the league changed as opposed to Rafi Torres. And Rafi Torres maybe just didn't adjust to what was acceptable in the league anymore. Um, like I mentioned, that hit against the Sharks, that might have been, at the time, everyone thought it was, it was a great hit, um, and it turned the series around. But I think a few years later, 
that was a hit that they wanted to outlaw from the game and, and then take out of the game. And, and I just think uh, Rafi Torres just didn't evolve with the way the rules did. And, and, and it's not just on Rafi. I think a lot of players would have been the same way. Would have been interested in Scott Stevens that played in the same era, the way he was laying out guys, if they changed the rules on him and, and took out some of the hits that he laid out on guys and called them predatory hits. And it would have been interesting to see how he would have handled the adjustment. So I just know Rafi played all out. He did everything at 100 miles an hour. And when you have a guy like that and you're asking him to slow down, uh, it's tough for a guy to do because that's all he's ever done. And he, you got to play in straight lines and it would skate through you. If you were in his way, he would skate through you. He wouldn't bother skating around you. So that's just the kind of player he was. Yeah. Well, and the Oilers, I don't know if they have an exact Rafi Torres type, but they, I mean, they've bulked up. I, I've thought Hyman and and uh, Kane have been very effective down low. I, I think Fogel has done that at times. Oddly enough, Yamamoto uh, <laughs> can be a bit of a force when, when he's on his game. I mean, they've won eight and straight at home. They're looking good to make the postseason. Just wondering... You know, your thoughts on the current Oilers, you know, they got pummeled in Calgary, obviously. Could have gone either way last night. I thought at times the Kings took it to them, but I also thought the Oilers did some good things in that game as well. What's your mindset on the current team? Well, I think I think uh, the sign of a cane kind of changed things around, and I think even the most optimistic Oilers fan uh, didn't project Evander Kane to come in and do the things that he's doing right now. And you're looking at a guy that you're basically a top six forward, uh, big, strong guy. He brings that grit. He brings that energy. He brings that that level of playing on the line, kind of like Rafi Torres did back in the day. Uh, but he's got the the hands and, and the skill uh, to go with that. And I think bringing a guy like that in really kind of solidified that top six, in my opinion. And, and you know, now the parts are interchangeable a little bit uh, when it comes. But I think it, it really kind of took the orders to that next level when it came to their forward group. And I think a lot of guys then you slot guys like Yamamoto in the right place, Pugliarby in the right place, and I think that's benefited them as well. But to me, the big turnaround was bringing Evander Kane in. I thought that you know, it was a move that a lot of people questioned just because of what happened with Kane off the ice. On the ice, everyone knew he was a good player, uh, whether or not he could still be that kind of effective uh, energy player that can chip in and score a lot of goals. That was the question, and I think... I don't think anyone could have anticipated he'd be this effective this quickly for the Edmonton Oilers, and I think that's one of the reasons. Uh, I think if for for their kind of turnaround after Todd McClellan left, and of course the job Jay Woodcroft has done, he's done a good job of getting the most into some of the guys that he knew really well in the American Hockey League, and he knew how they work and what they take and, and how to slot them in certain places. So uh, I think it all kind of came together here. Uh, for the Edmonton Oilers, and uh, I thought it was a good game last night. I thought they were they were all played for stretches, yes, but Nico Koskinen, I thought, played well at 41 shots, and, and this is a guy that obviously a lot of people aren't sure about, even even still, even on the run that he's on right now, aren't sure about uh, Nico Koskinen, but uh, I think the Oilers are starting to put it together, and if they can kind of stay the course and, and play that, that effective they don't have to be a shutdown team, but they do have to be responsible defensively. And, and you can see what happens uh, when they're not responsible offensively. They get they, they give up nine goals in Calgary and uh, get blown out there in the third period. So uh, I think it's arrow up, as, uh, as Tom Rennie used to say when he was here. Uh, and it's going to be a very interesting uh, postseason here at Edmonton. All right, Derek Van Deese joining us Saturday Inside Sports. And, of course, last night you had the interesting role of uh, also watching the soccer game and writing about the soccer game. Because um, I, 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 I'll tell people behind the scenes, I asked you to come on during the intermission, and you were like, Reed, 
we'll do your show tomorrow because I got a lot going on. So thanks for thanks for coming on tonight. First of all, Canada's loss to Panama. Like I, I had the Rosario on my show, and I I heard some other people say, well, Canada still needs to win that game, so they're in pot three instead of part four for the World Cup. They they lost one nothing. They did they. Did they play poorly? Did they did they lose subs? Did they not have as much energy because they knew they were already in? Like, tell us about last night's match. Well, I think there was a lot of factors in the last 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 night's match, and I think we should first explain the, the, the plot system here, how it works. The World Cup draw is tomorrow, and basically, it, it's a weighted draw. It, they don't want all the best teams in one group. It's it's four groups. Sorry, eight groups of four teams, and, and it's a weighted draw. So they have eight ranked teams. That each of those ranked teams are in pot one, and they will they will kind of be the top of that of their their respective groups. And however however they're drawn, Qatar is in there not because they're one of the best teams in the world. It's just because they're the hosts, and and the hosts. The tournament is always better the farther the hosts go. So the hosts are going to get a break, and they're going to be a ranked team. So then they have – and, and these rankings are based on the uh, Coca-Cola World FIFA rankings that they have. They have kind of a, a, a point system that they use, wins, losses, weight of opponent type thing. Um, so that's how they kind of figure out the FIFA rankings. So Brazil is the number one team in the world, and so they're in there, and they're, they're in there with, with a few other teams, their heavyweights, Belgium, France – uh, England's in there, so so there's eight ranked teams, and they go into pot one. And then then the, the next eight ranked teams from that go into pot two, and then the next ranked three go into pot three, and then and then there's a pot four. Now Canada, had they won in Panama, they would have got enough points to kind of edge one of those other teams in the rankings, one of those other teams that have qualified. So they would have gone into pot three instead of pot four. Now, does that make a huge difference? Probably not between three and four. You're still going to play a Brazil. You're still going to play the likes of an Argentina. You're still going to play maybe a Belgium or an England or a France. Um, so you're still going to play a top, top team. And then in pot two, you've got the second kind of tier, European powers and, and some other South American powers. And, and you have actually the United States and Mexico are in pot two. So you're still going to play two tough opponents, and then the, the third and fourth pot are kind of just interchangeable. So they didn't win the game. They didn't get into the third pot. They're in the pot four, and their ranking right now is 38th in the world, I believe, which is a pretty high ranking for Canada. I think the highest they've ever been was 33. And so now, then tomorrow, you know, you got to figure out, you got a team from each pot. They put them in the eight groups, and then that's your grouping uh, for the World Cup in Qatar, which starts on November 21st this year. Okay, so and it's fine. I'll I'll tweet this out when we're done. There's a, a website where you can do your own draw <laughs> and see where Canada winds up. And there's also, I, I I mean, like I feel like this is one of those topics, Derek, where people like you have known how the World Cup draw has worked since birth, and then because of Canada's success there's a lot of people learning about it for the first time and it's not as easy to, you did a good job explaining it. Uh, but like I, I said the other day on air, like my, my mom was like, well, when do they find out who they play? And I'm like, okay, well, no, well, no Friday, mom. You gotta, you just gotta wait till the end of the week. But, but also you have to remember and correct me if I'm wrong, Canada cannot wind up in the same pool as the United States or Mexico, right? They try to limit the amount of uh, rematches from, from regions. Is that, is that yeah, the right exactly. way to put it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you don't you don't they don't want two teams from the same region in the in the same group, with the exception of Europe. There's so many European teams, I think there's fourteen European teams. So well, they, you can't have more than two European teams in a group. You, and you can't have more than the one team from each region, for example. So there's 
there's five African teams, so all the African teams will be in different groups. There's five South, well, there's four South American teams, maybe five, depending on our content of the playoff. Um, so you want all, all, each South American team will be in their own group. Uh, the Asian teams will be in their own group. And then CONCACAF teams will be in their own group. And so when they pull, start pulling these pots out, and, and basically they're just little balls, and they have, they open the balls, and then there's names of the teams there. Um, when they start pulling these names out, they really have to, you look at the board, and if, for example, let's say I'm, I'm a European team and I'm Denmark, for example, and they said Denmark is drawn in to Group A, but if Group A already has France and, and another European team, then Denmark will move over to the, 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 the next group. So it, it gets kind of complicated and a little convoluted, but they do a good job with the draw. It, it's just a spectacular show. Um, the, the draw draws billions of people because everyone wants to see who's playing who. Everyone wants to see uh, who England's going to play in their group, who Brazil's going to play, who Argentina, and all those groups. So it's quite entertaining, and they do put it, – it, it's quite a big spectacle that they, they expect to put out uh, tomorrow morning. It's 10 a.m. our time, I think? Uh, 10 a.m. our time. I think the, there's a pregame show on TSN that starts at 9. Oh, wow. uh, so they'll kind of set it up. They'll, they'll, yeah, they'll explain it all because there is a lot of explaining. Like, you're right, Reed. If you're not, if you don't understand how this works, then it can get just so convoluted and confusing. Uh, but I think they do try to break it down and see what happens. And uh, you know, John Herdman is not in Qatar. I, I talked to him about that. He's gonna, he's, he's back in uh, Vancouver, so he'll be watching intently. Uh, I'm sure Alfonso Davies will be watching intently. All the Canadians will be watching intently to see to see what happens and, and where they end up. And, uh, yeah, so the, the, the draw is usually a huge, huge, uh, uh, I don't want to say moneymaker, but it, it has a huge audience because the World Cup draw uh, often uh, outdraws the final from the previous four years. It's just amazing how many how many people tune into the World Cup draw. And, and, and you have 32 teams, you have 32 countries that are, that are just glued to these balls and, and who, whoever picks these balls out of these bowls and how they end up on the board. Just, just quickly, Derek, before I let you go, uh, I mean, you're a big soccer guy. Uh, obviously, uh, you're, you're from Chile originally. Um, what's yeah. it just? What's it been like for you to see Canada not just get in, but be quite dominant <laughs> throughout the qualifying? You know, it's been fantastic, and I've had this conversation with a lot of friends of mine. I had this conversation with Milan Boria, the goalkeeper from Canada, too, and and yeah, all of us have come come from different countries, wherever it is, Italy, Chile, England, Spain, whatever, Portugal, um, in Boran, in this case, he came from the former Yugoslavia. We all cheered for Canada. We all wanted Canada to to do well in a in a sport that we love. The only reason we would you know, we still back our home countries, but the only reason we were back in Canada is because they were doing really well. And now you see the support of this team and the makeup of this team is very multicultural, so it kind of represents all all people around around the country, and and you see them rallying around that. You see, you go down and you see that in little Italy, they're they're cheering on Canada, and in all different parts of the, of the city, they're cheering on Canada. My father, who was who was born in Chile, was cheering on Canada. Everyone wants Canada to do well. They they wanted a reason to kind of rally around this team, and this team gave it to them. And I think that that goes a lot to say about the players and. And the job John Herdman's done as head coach, and I think the the whole country. When John Herdman says the whole country is behind this team, it's actually true. And it's the, regardless if you come from Italy or Portugal or wherever, you are behind this Canadian team, and I think that's what makes this team so special. I just drew Canada into Group E with Argentina, Netherlands, and Tunisia. 
That'd be a tough one. Eh? <laughs> you know what? That'd be a great. I actually tweeted that out. Uh, yeah, you know what? If they're at the World Cup, they're playing at the greatest tournament. Let's play the best teams. Let's play Argentina. Let's play Brazil. Let's play Belgium or France or in England. They've played these these little uh, Central American and Caribbean countries for so long. Let's see Canada play in Argentina. Let's see them play in Netherlands. Let's see them play in Japan and and these big big teams. And I and I think that would be exciting. I think that's what you want to see. You want to see how Canada would do against Messi. I would love to see that. Derek, I'll see you at the rink tomorrow. I guess we'll be following the draw on our on our phones while we're covering the morning skate. I, I really appreciate this, man. No problem. Anytime, Reed. Thanks for having me on. As Derek Van Dees from Post Media talking Oilers and Canada going to the World Cup. I tweeted out the link if you want to do a do-it-yourself draw. Back in a couple minutes. Quickly go here to the Certainty Hotline, 780-496-0063. Ron from Red Deer would like to check in. Hey, Ron. Hey, Reed. How you doing? Well, I bet you're all excited because Mooner was on the show, and he's in California. Yeah. Love him. Love him. What's going on? So, listen, I was at the game, like uh, the Detroit series, and this is a story that was never reported. Um, Stevie Eisenman was standing in the hallway looking at the ice because that was his last game. And literally, Reed, the fans saw him standing. I was like, I'm tearing up a bit because it was like, and then they started going, Stevie, Stevie, Steve. And they and the fans just knew it was his last game. And and Stevie Eisenman came out, did the stick, and it like, like basically said, thank you. The coolest experience, like, just, it was such an amazing, like, he was standing in the hallway looking at the ice, knowing it was his last game. That was after the game, after the Oilers eliminated them? Yes. Oh, wow. No, I hadn't heard that before. No, yeah, no one knows about this story. I was there. I was literally, and, you know, the, the, the fans just called him out and just started going, Stevie, Stevie. And he literally just, like, like because Edmonton knows hockey, and we called him out, and he did a he did a skate around, put his stick up, like basically said thank you, and it was the coolest experience. No one knows the story, but if unless you were there, it was so cool. Yeah, that's awesome, Ron. Thanks for sharing that, man. Hey, enjoy yeah. the game tomorrow. You know it. All right. That is Ron from Red Deer checking in. Nice story from 2006 uh, after the Oilers eliminated the uh, Wings in the first round. We still got Oilers defenseman Brett Kulak coming up. Edmonton Stingers getting ready for another basketball season. They're the back-to-back champs. That's all ahead. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.